Welcome to Year Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. We're finally live. Uh, sorry for the delay. We ha- Everyone had life get in the way. It's, we're all good now. John, doubly so. He will be joining us a little bit later. Um, um, first off, my name is Joshua Fredlin. In case you didn't know, you can find me at Josh Fred, as Aaron Castro used to say in lead speak on Twitter. Um, joining me at the moment is Craig Rudelli. You can find him on Twitter at MMFlyHalf. And then joining us eventually will be John Cullen, hopefully, um, if his if his family situation gets sorted out. Um, Craig, how are you doing this week? Doing great. Doing great, Josh. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm good. Life has been, you know, a little slow for me. Um, work, work and just rugby and sports in general, so... <laughs> Well, Super Bowl is over now, so uh, the uh, contact sport marketplace is now all rugby's for the taking. Yeah, I saw it when I was watching the replay of the uh, what was it? I guess it was the Gilgroni, uh, the Gilgroni Old Glory match. There was this commercial at the beginning of the of it. I don't know if that was part of the live broadcast, but it was really cool. Did you, you see what I'm talking? Have you seen this? Like, it's like a 30 second rugby promo just like a promo for the sport of rugby it was good stuff uh mlr specific it had mlr players and their kits show up at the end uh oh the the rise of rugby commercial yeah maybe that's what it was the black and white one yeah yeah the rise of rugby no it's definitely a good commercial i know some people don't like it considering the they've overplayed it to some extent but where have they played it? I haven't seen it other than in this this beginning of this replay. Week one, they played it at the half times of all the games, like five times in a row. Mm. Okay, maybe I, I usually I skip the half times on my replay. Uh, yeah, see, so, see that that's where you saved yourself. You you watched them on replay. I do. I also yeah. There's usually like one or two games I just watch. You know, true to form, how it played on TV, but then the rest, yeah. You know, every time there's a stoppage of play, I just, you know, I use the plus ten second feature on the <laughs> uh, the rugby network app. So yeah, you get through a game in like forty minutes. Pretty, uh, yeah, pretty economical way to to make sure you see all the matches in a given weekend. That's my secret, people. Feel free to use it. I, I definitely need to start doing that because that sounds like ex- something exactly like I my ADHD brain needs to do. Um, I screwed up. All right. I screwed up the socials. Um, but, you know, you, he's, let's just jump into, let's just jump into the results. Let's do it. You want to go ahead, kick us off uh, Seattle, Utah on Thursday. Uh, sure. Seattle and Utah met on Thursday. Uh, another, uh, Tuck Willie game for Starfire and uh, or Starfire game for the Seawolves and another win for the Seawolves. They won twenty to seventeen. Uh, pretty good match. Utah again may, had some late heroics to pull the score close. Uh, though I'd say Seattle was really in control for the majority of the game. You know, I, obviously we had our pot after Week One where Seattle had beat the Arrows, and I was I, I made a comment to the effect of. You know the the defense that of Toronto was very disorganized, and it gave Seattle a lot of attacking opportunities that I'm not sure they'd get. You know, against a, a better prepared defense, Utah's defense was fine. I mean, it wasn't anything particularly good, but it, it wasn't, in my view, as as disorganized as Toronto had been the week before. And I thought Seattle actually looked better this week uh, to me than they did week one. I thought they looked very impressive. Um, they they just really have a lot of skill at a lot of key places. I mean, they they have really good loose forwards. Uh, Nakai Petty, Riker Hatting, and uh, Landry have been playing great in, as loose forwards. I think in the back, you know, I think Alex Tino has been a huge find for them at 10. 
And then they got Lopetti and they got uh, ISFO and they got Ross Neal. So they, they have some pretty skilled backs. And I think that they're starting to put a lot of stuff together. Um, that now, it, yeah, week one, I was a little unconvinced. But after week two, um, I'm pretty convinced. I, they, they have a pretty good squad. And I, I, in my column, I put them as a, a shield contender. I think they actually, two weeks in, I mean, early for these kind of takes, but I think they look like one of the better teams in Omar. One place they did struggle, in my view, was in the scrum. Uh, yeah, Utah. Utah was actually if there's one place in this game they had the edge, it was in the scrum. I think. Uh, I mean, it wasn't dominant like we'd seen in some other games, but it, you know, th- I think they had a clear edge there. So for Seattle, that's you know something to keep an eye on. They did lose a prop early in the game to injury. I think yeah, within the first 15 minutes or so. Um, but I think it was I think it was Gordon that came on. It was a long time Seattle prop. It's not like they had somebody inexperienced in there. Um, yeah, Utah again. I, I think Utah have a lot of talent. Uh, so, you know, I'm gonna mess up his name. You know, Cliven Laubzer is that the is that? Oh, the, yeah. um, I think it's Cliven Laubzer. Yeah, Laubzer or something like that. Laubzer. For some reason, is it just me or does the broadcast constantly not give him credit for things that he's doing? They kept saying Russell. Was doing these things I'm like that was Lauser, wasn't it? Why do they keep calling him Russell? Russell, uh, the scrum half. Uh, so I, I was getting very confused. I think Lauser was playing pretty well. Um, obviously, they have Mikey Tan in the backfield, who I think is very talented. Uh, they, they have some good people. They have, I think they have a great front row, Olive Cleefy. Um, they have some pieces, but they have not yet really put it together after two weeks. Uh, you know, they, they have kept it close. And they have a pretty good point differential. They've gotten the bonus points for margin, you know, losing margin in both weeks. Um, and they're lucky to have done that because I, I would say in both cases, the score, the final score flatters Utah. I don't think either of the games were as close as they seem if you just look at the scoreline. So, you know, a little, a little bit of concern, I think, creeping in for Utah. Um, but again, I think they have all the pieces that they have the set piece, they have the attacking skill, they have a, a you know, they have playmakers. Uh, so I, I, I guess I'm hopeful for them that it's just a matter of early season shaking out the bugs still. And uh, and I, I still think that if they put you know they can, they should be able to put those things together and be one of the more dangerous teams in MLR. But we haven't seen it these first two weeks. So what you had noticed, you had said Seattle had started looking more and more put together. Did you notice anything specific that changed from week one to week two to influence that opinion for you? Well, I think really the difference was it was hard for me to, to judge as much in week one as I thought Toronto's defense in week one was uh, their defensive line integrity was very low. So I think that creates a lot of attacking opportunities that make it, it may, could make your attack look better. I guess is my point. So in, in Utah, I don't think that was quite the case. I think they were, you know, adequate defensively. The the line breaks, the opportunities that are being created were not due to a disorganized Utah side. It was things that were generally being created by Seattle. And it, it was maybe that was the case week one, but it was hard to say because I thought there were so many gaps to exploit that it may not have been as impressive that you saw line breaks or whatever. All right. And then just because it came became a point of contention in the match thread on the ML Rugby subreddit, when they had to go to uncontested scrums, um, just so everyone is aware, it is a law in the rule books. Everyone got confused about Seattle having to send another player off. This is in the rule book. Um, I believe it is law three um, under team. Um, it is... If you Google it, it does come up under the World Rugby Laws of the Game. Um, so they 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 have this table of for the first event for the first player going off in the second event, and so the the event is there. So it was, um, I believe it was an injury and a yellow card were the reasons why. Correct? Yeah, yeah. So first event was an injury, second event was a yellow card. So they would they had to go down to thirteen men. There are four scenarios where a team would have to play with 12 in that but, case. Okay, but hold on a second. Just to clarify, like, normally an injury and a yellow card would not mean you have to go down to 13 men. You typically replace an injured player. So 
that's in generally speaking, that's not cause to lose a player. I think that was Riker Hatting's point was, yeah, for a yellow card, you go down a man, but not for an injury. So why should we be playing with 13? And, I, and if, if my memory serves correctly, it was because they didn't have any props, right? They had already lost one to injury, like with in the first like five minutes of the game. Right. Then they lost another one to injury. Yeah. So they had, I think, I think that, like I said, they lost a prop early in the game. Then a prop, then a front row, I don't remember if it was a prop or a hooker or whatever, a front row was binned. And then another front row got injured. So now they couldn't, they didn't have three, you know, if you guys have played rugby in the U.S., you know, make team sheets, you have to mark who your front row eligible people are on your lineup card before the game. There's usually rules. You have to have five or whatever, you know, whatever. Mm. But those are the only people that can be in the front row because the front row is dangerous. If you're not experienced, they don't want people getting hurt in the scrum. It's a very high-impact thing. So I, I think the, the conundrum came in this game because they no longer had three people that were both help, that were that checked both boxes of being healthy and being not yellow-carded at that moment. So they couldn't form a, a, a front row of eligible front row players, and therefore they had to go to uncontested scrums. Which and then, tough. I mean, I, I'm fine with uncontested scrums, I guess, but I kind of think you should just lose every scrum if you're, <laughs> if you're like you should just auto lose them in uncontested. You shouldn't uncontestedly win because you lost. You don't have enough healthy props anymore or whatever. Uh, I don't know. It just it seems unfair. It, I mean, it, I think in the end it worked out to Seattle's benefit because they were they were losing scrums to Utah. You know, Utah was was winning penalties. Um, and now they they have a chance. So it didn't last. I mean, obviously the yellow card ended, uh, so they yeah they went back to regular scrums. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean it, that ungoodness scrums are a rule. It, you don't see it often. It's a dumb rule. Uh, I mean, it's it really <laughs> changes the, even the game. It seems very silly. Uh, but I, you see it in, even in international play. I think I remember. Uh, I, I feel like we've seen this in a, maybe maybe a Georgia match in the last couple of years where they had to go to uncontested scrums for some reason. So it, it happens from time to time. It's weird. Um, I, I, it could be really lucky, uh, but that's kind of true. A lot of things with front row rules that they're, they're so specific about front row like another one you see which has caused controversy before is that if your front row comes out as a sub and your replacement gets injured and the only other person you have has been subbed out he can come back in so you can actually put your substituted you know your starter back in the game uh so like it could also be used as a way to get somebody rest right you can you could have your starting prop play 50 minutes come out for 20 and then the guy's oh he's hurt and we have no other props now you put your starter back in for the last 10 or whatever i mean it opens the door to that kind of chicanery and there have been accusations of that that, you know that sort of stuff too so front row front row rules or laws are weird um (laughs) but uh yeah i mean that's is what it is i don't think it changed the outcome of this game at the end of the day okay all right. Yeah, I th- I think it did a little bit because at at the time that they went to uncontested scrums, Utah was really winning that battle. Um, so I, I think it did have a little bit of effect. But yeah, I, th- I think you're right and didn't have that much of an effect. Yeah, I mean it may have, but I mean, how many scrums happened that point? Two. I mean, it wasn't like there was that many scrums left uh, that really were influenced by that uh, decision. So I mean, with that in the time, it was like I don't remember the score was. It was like. 20 to six or something, or it's, it was, it was a wider margin. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it obviously had some impact, but I, I don't think it had enough of impact to have caused the, you know, the winner to have changed. All right. Moving on to game two, uh, Toronto's first home game in two years at this point, while it was technically in Canada, they are Canada's team. It was held at Starlight Stadium in uh, Langford, British Columbia, on the other side of Canada. Um, they had a good first half from what I was able to see, um, and then just let up in the second, basically just let off the gas in the second half. Uh, you know, LA being LA, I don't know if they, I don't know if you caught this game. Unfortunately, I didn't. But, you know, they ended up 
it almost seemed like what I was able to read in the second half, they just played their game and just outplayed them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I don't remember they Toronto made it into winning at halftime or it was, it was very close. If not, uh, yeah, they, you know, they played her, they played them tough, but again, I, I think Toronto right now, which mystifies me, but I feel like it's a lot of individual effort. I mean, they scored a try early and I think it was Mike Shepard who charged down two kicks in like a five second period. Like they, 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 you know, LA went to kick, he charged it down. They recovered it. They went to kick again. He charged it down again and then picked up his own blocked kick and scored a try. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, stuff like that was going Toronto's way early. Um, LA, it, it's so weird too, because they last year, of course, everyone knew they were this high speed, very sophisticated attack, very creative, a lot of different looks, you know, they, a lot of options. Um, and they haven't been doing that this, this year. It's short season. They're, they're on their, you know, their third option fly half. Um, but I mean, Luke Burton, no slouch, but uh Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe you know, they needed Gitto or, or Luke Cardi in there to, to drive that. But it, you know, it, I think in the second half of this game, you started to see a little bit more of that creativity. Um, that's obviously when they ran up the score, scored a, something like 19 unanswered points or whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, really, yeah, second half, they really just distanced Toronto and uh, put them away. Uh, uh, you know, easily the best half of the season for the Giltini so far. Uh, but again, I think, uh, you know, Toronto defense has not impressed me so far. I, I think they have the, one of the more, uh, and then one of the more problematic defenses so far in my view. So, you know, even 31 points from the Giltinis against a uh, very disorganized defense. Um, I don't know, not, not impressed. It's not the high flying 50 points every week attack we saw last year. That's for sure. Yeah. Going to Toronto, I think I asked this I've asked this of you last week, but is there anything specific you can you were able to see, or is it just them being just plain disorganized? I I, I think it wasn't as bad this week, honestly, uh, as it was week one. But I, I think when when I watch rugby, I expect if for the most part to see teams doing things as a cohesive unit. You know, like if we're in defense. A guy makes a tackle, people rotate, we spread out, we identify you know, who you're covering, if they do various plays or whatever, you call out things, you reform. So they're going to attack. There are, you know, the, the ball is down, the ball is won in the ruck. You have an option for your scrum half to pop to like a close forward bowl. Or you have an option to pull it back to the fly half, and then that fly half now has options. He has options off his side to go to a, his close forward option or he could pull it back into you know through the hands and the backs sometimes there's even more options added in there or you know there's a bat you know reverse direction or somebody comes from the inside so those are the things you expect to see and it's usually it's a highly coordinated i mean 12 13 people doing the same thing knowing where they're supposed to be in their spot doing their role i'm not seeing that for toronto right now i'm seeing two or three people at a time doing something and the rest of the people are just doing their own thing. It, it doesn't seem to be a team cohesive effort to me right now, especially week one. Like this, this first half this week was a little better, but again, you see, like I, like I mentioned, you saw. I mean, half their attack came because one guy, bro- you know, charged forward and charged down the kick. Charging down kicks, of course, is great when the guy's box kicking. It's not really much of a risk, but. The general, the idea of one individual rushing forward ahead of the defensive line to make a tackle, that's a high-risk play. I mean, it's not something you want to see that often. I feel like Toronto does a lot of that. They have people running out of their lanes, chasing the ball. Uh, and it's just, you know, they're, they're just not very organized yet, in my view, at the team level. Okay. Now, moving on to the third game, uh, first game on Saturday. Uh, no games on Sunday this past week due to the Super Bowl. Uh, first game, a uh, little bit of a roster mess in that San Diego had a couple of injuries happen right before kickoff, and then declined to inform anybody but the league. Um, so we had a we had um, Matt McCarthy having trouble identifying players because he wasn't told there were replacements. So that that was fun. Um, but so uh, replacement wise, I believe. Um, 
Joe Peterson and um, Thomas Maroney. No, sorry, I forget who the other player was. That who was? I actually didn't see the very, the very first few minutes of this one. Okay, CC so, Mahomes. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, Joe Peterson and one other player were out. Um, Bjorn Basson moved over to left wing from right wing. Ryan Matias came up, came off the bench and up to the 14th to the right wing. Um, and then two players added to the bench were Patrick Madden and Dom Iacovino, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but you know, this actually ended up being one of the good matches of the week. Um, I think, I don't know if this, if this says more about Dallas or if this says more about San Diego. Dallas actually looked like a legit team. About the um, Dallas Jackets? Yeah, the Dallas Jackets. <laughs> forgot about that. Um, they only scored two tries, but thanks to the boot of Adrian Carlson, they were able to keep themselves in it. Um, they had a nine-point lead with 20 minutes left and then gave up three tries to lose that lead. So, you know, you, you got to take the good with the bad. So, you know, we had a penalty try um, for San Diego – and then four second half tries by Patrick Madden, Bjorn Basson, Ben Mitchell, and Ryan Matias. I think Ben Mitchell's was also a charge down um, try, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And then the try was for for Dallas was for um, forget his first name Henry Trinder. I thought it was Henry. Just wanted to make sure. And then Conrad Rora. And then. For Seattle or for San Diego, they also had lost Will Hooley in the in the first ten minutes of the game to a groin injury. So at times we also saw Ma Nanus be the kick, be the place kicker. So that was that was an interesting interesting point. So yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously injuries, especially right before kickoff, are disruptive. I think the Jackals have a lot to be proud about. Uh, yeah, I, I've been neg- pretty negative about them coming into the season as a lot of people have, uh, and I'm still, you know, I'm still fairly negative on them, but I think they really, they're, they've definitely done better than I was expecting. I mean, Adrian Carelsa is not an expansion player. He was on Atlanta last year. He was had weeks where he was, I think he probably won player of the week, you know, at least once or twice last year. Um, if not, I mean, certainly in contention, he, he had some lights out weeks. So he's a, I mean, he's a force we reckon with. And he, he, you yeah, was showing that, uh, especially this week. Um, look, I mean, it, it, there is something to be said, I think, unfortunately, for the Jackals of or the Jackets, uh, which it, if you didn't see that, they at one point in, the, in a, one of the broadcasts, they were giving a score recap and they were called the Dallas Jackets. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think, unfortunately, for the Jackals, there is a truth to the fact that, um, you know, having to perform when it really counts, like in the end of a game, end of a close game, is one good way, I think, to determine the stronger side. You know, like, this is like, a, a, I think Utah last was a good example, you know. They may have been winning all game, but then in the, in the crucial minutes when counted, they found ways to win. I think that's a good test of, you know, who, who's the better side. And in this case, San Diego, though losing for, you know, a, a portion of this match including late uh you know when the, their backs were the wall they came through they they you know essentially put it away by the you know by the last few minutes it wasn't even in contention anymore there's more than a one tr- you know the final score was 37 29 so more than a one try victory for seattle in the end uh san diego rather in the end uh so i mean that was a lot to be proud of i think i i don't you know i think this score again probably um, favors them a bit. Uh, you know, I, I think San Diego showed that they had probably a little bit more, a uh, little bit more quality by the end. But uh, hey, I, I think Jaguars will win some games this year. I don't know if they're going to go winless, which I probably did think coming into the year. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm seeing out there. And they have nice uniforms, which I like. I appreciate it. <laughs> you like the teal or aqua? Yeah, it's unusual. Water. All right. I like it. All right. Game four of the weekend. Craig's favorite time of the weekend with New York and Houston. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, weird one. Scoreless first half. Uh, so I, I, I 
also mentioned this after week one where Houston had a shocking win over LA. Um, but in that win, they, they did have the benefit of three yellow cards. And even though the first two of those yellow cards overlapped, Houston weren't able to score even a single point in that period. And I was worried that they're not doing enough with ball in hand uh, to score. And I think we kind of saw that this week where they, yeah, New York actually had a yellow card at one point and Houston did score during that time. Um, but I mean, Houston really was having trouble getting anything going in attack and they just don't, they are so methodical and so kind of plain vanilla with what they're doing that I think it's going to be difficult for them to generate opportunity. That's my concern for Houston because they're, they're a big team. They're very fiery. There's a lot of, you know, pushing and shoving here. A lot of intensity I, I like to see out of Houston. They were, you know, they were by and large getting rewarded with penalties in the scrum, you know, more so than New York. I think New York made one, one at the end. Uh, and I thought, you know, I wasn't sure I would have agreed with, with all those decisions, but, you know, if 80% of the penalties in the scrum are going to Houston, probably safe to say they have the, the you know, the better scrum. So they, they have a lot of weapons there. Um, they just got to figure out what they're doing in the attack. I mean, they, they have to have more of a creative approach to it. You know, we talked about it a couple minutes ago when I was talking Toronto and, and LA, you know, a little bit as well. You know, there's got to be more looks, you know, like right now it seems like it's very telegraph what Houston's doing. They just pop it to one guy who runs or they pull it back and then he just goes through the hands to somebody eventually crashes. There's very little, decoys or changing in directions or, you know, unexpected offloads or, you know, things like that. Uh, so they they got to find something. They got to they find something to do to, you know, create line breaks and then capitalize when they get that. Uh, New York, um, well, I mean, the first game of the year for them. So, you know, they were feeling a little rusty. I thought they, they had some opportunities they couldn't capitalize on because they made errors as they got close to scoring a, a couple times. Um, but you know, they, they played in Houston for the opener and they, they won a tough physical match. I think that, that bodes well for them. Um, I like Chancellor Wingluski. I, I thought he had a good game for New York, uh, despite, you know, the scrum advantage going to Houston. Um, Sam Windsor, uh, pretty quiet. I thought, you know, in his opening for New York, he didn't really have that much of an impact in my view. I think Andy Ellis, who didn't start, uh, but he came on from injury very early. Any Ellis to me is still the the beating heart of that attack. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully he's fit and able to you know register a lot of minutes this year. He's an older fellow, uh, but uh, I think he's a key to what they do. Uh, I'm not sure that. Uh, yeah, I thought he brought a lot more this this week one than than Windsor did. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out as the year goes along. Well, I I think he I think it does get annoying at times, but I do tend to enjoy his. Um, Andy Ellis is shit stirring at times, so it's always fun to watch. And the way he talks to the, the referee is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to your point about Sam Windsor, he basically had no effect. He attempted three kicks, made none of them. Um, yeah. Windy day, but I mean. Yeah. I, and I also think that was the part of the thing. Like, I remember seeing in the thread, and I think the announcers were talking about it too, that Houston just wasn't going for kicks. And even when they had the wind at their back, they weren't going for kicks. Um, another thing was they didn't, they barely used their subs. Like the, they brought their first sub on at the 58th minute and then all of the rest of them were at the 70th minute and on. So it was like, you're, you're going to run the team into a ground. If you keep doing that, I have to go back and check next week, but you know, New York they found a way to survive. I mean, Ed Fidal player of the week, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, but, he looks yeah. pretty good too, didn't he? He's a big fella. Yeah. He was shaking a lot of tackles. Uh, so, you know, now that, at, you know, this is a coming out party of sorts for him, we'll see if – I remember I think it was uh, – was it Bella Clana? There, were, there was someone last year, big big winger. Oh, who, Paul, uh, yeah, Paula Bella Clana for Houston. Uh, for New England. Uh, oh, I think um, had a lot of uh, had a lot of early season success. I think it was New England. Uh, and you know, then team, you know, he was just go attacking wide. He was a big guy, and people were having trouble taking him down. And then after a couple of weeks, people adjusted to that. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see if if 
Fido, Fido gets that treatment. Uh, but yeah, that, that was an impressive outing for him, wasn't it? He was he, he broke a lot of tackles on the way to New York's two tries. I, th- I think it was going. It was to his size. I mean, I think it was Jerry um, Lobachanga. Um, just like he was the last line of defense, and just like he tried to, he almost didn't try to tackle. Like he made it look like he was going for the tackle, and then sl- slid off of him just because of just because of his size. Yeah. Well, also, you know, Fido was doing a good job of, you know, it looked like he was preparing for an offload or looking to make a pass. And then, but he had the balance to like turn, hold the ball out, take the tackle, shake the tackle and keep running and keep up, you know, a good pace. So I mean, I thought it was a very good balance and, and kind of spatial awareness out of him as well. And that may have contributed to some of the tackles being broken because they may have partly fallen for like, you know, the distraction of, is he going to offload it? Do I need to worry about someone else? you know, following up here in support. Okay. Moving on to game number five, probably the most, I'd say, closely contested game outside of the Houston-New York game. Um, rugby ATL visiting NOLA in the gold mine, ended up coming out 14-9. to nine. You know, n- not that uncommon of a score for this game. I believe last year's game in NOLA was similar scoreline. I think it was maybe it was even lower, like 8-5 to five or something like that. Um, Carl Meyer scored all of Nolo's points after going off last week with an injury, converted three penalties. Um, see, scores for Atlanta were Damon Torres and Martini Talapusi. Um, Damon Torres started and finished his his try for rugby ATL in the 33rd minute. You know, it offloaded to Johan Momsen, who offloaded back to him, and he touched down. And then in the 68th minute, after two minutes after coming on for Waitokia for an injury sub, um, after a, I believe it was an overthrown lineout, Martini Talapusi just got the ball and scored straight under the post for Rugby ATL to put it away for them. You know, I mean, I think it was just one of those fights where no one, no one wants to give up, and in the end, Rugby ATL was able to pull it out. Yeah. Yeah, good. I mean, good rivalry between NOLA and Rugby ATL. You know, that, you know, that South uh, rivalry. Uh, you know, uh, NOLA came a pretty bad loss from last week, and, and Rugby ATL came a pretty nice win. Uh, I feel like they both reacted to that a bit. You know, I think NOLA picked up their their game a bit. They, they looked a little more dangerous in attacking. You know, they end up scoring in tries, but I, I thought they they. Um, they had a little more ambition, I thought, and a little more direction this week. Uh, Rugby ATL, obviously, and they scored, what, like 50 points last week. Uh, so 14 is quite a come down. Um, you know, I think they, they did what they had to do. It, it was a very a, kind of a frenetic, high-paced battle for, for sort of low-scoring actual game. Uh, so, you know, I think any, anytime you're going to go to a rival on their home turf and win – it's a good day for you and rugby ATL two and zero to start the year. So, uh, yeah, I think they're feeling pretty good. Yeah, definitely. And then our final game of the week, which was the national broadcast of the week, which depending on which side you're on was either a very good broadcast or a very bad game. Um, we had Austin hosting old glory DC final score, 57 to 12, you know, Austin scored in the first 30 seconds. Um, at one point, it, they were on pace to score a century, and then yeah. so I, I don't know if they just calmed down or if they just DC finally stepped up. But you know something happened. DC scored. They got two tries from Roberts Tanana, who honestly probably has one of the highest motors in the league. That dude just does not give up. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's great for Roberts Tanana. What is going on with Old Glory's defense? I mean, they've let in 112 points in two weeks. Uh, not good. Not good, Old Glory. Uh, yeah. So, you know, not. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to talk about anything more thoughtful or granular when you're just letting people run in all game against you. Um, so, I mean, they're going to have to obviously pick that up. I think they're – everyone knows I like – a lot of the players on Glory, I think, are very good. Um, but 
this defense, something has to happen quick uh, before the team <laughs> runs away from them. Also, on their hand, are looking great. You know, you know what actually I find most impressive about Austin is now that we've seen the Jackals score 29 against San Diego. We know they can score. They they have some players that they have, you know could also played against Austin too. They only managed seven points against Austin. Austin had a very good defense last year. Their attack was um, much more middling. Right now, they're, I mean, they've brought in some new faces we've discussed in previous weeks, but their attack looks sensational. But the defense still looks great. They've let in, what, 19 points in two weeks? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, pretty pretty good on both sides of the ball for Austin. Um, I mean, two weeks in, are they looking like the Shield favorite? Probably. I mean, they're, it's hard to say anyone has played better than them so far. I mean, still, still early, but uh, they're, I'd say they're the front runner right now. Yeah, I guess that leads into our, our discussion for the week. You know, biggest surprises after two weeks. Um, obviously, Austin, ha- I think Austin has to be one of them. You know, they, you're right. They didn't have that offense last year. Now they have that in combination with their, you know, defense that they have maintained. Um, we will we'll have, to, you know, you mentioned Dallas scoring against San Diego. I think may need a couple more weeks on them. Um Oh, Glory's definitely taking a step back. I think that was a surprise for a lot of people. Um, Toronto's definitely a surprise. Um, no, yeah. I, I, didn't you I, didn't you take Austin as your preseason shield prediction when we had that? We discussed that. Yeah, the, our pod before the season started. I took Utah. I think Cullen took New England, and I think you took Austin. So you you shouldn't be surprised. You I shouldn't be surprised, but I I. I was basing it on them with their defense. You know, I didn't think they would have this offense that scores 50 points a week. We'll, we'll see if they can are able to maintain that. But, you know, that, that, that all, I guess I should say, I should change my surprise to Austin's offense instead yeah. of just Austin winning. Yeah. I think you mean, you mentioned a couple of the big ones. I think I'm, I'm surprised really at, at Toronto in a certain sense and how, uh, you know, uh, we've talked about them at some length today. I don't want to just pile on, but you know how discombobulated they seem to me. I think that's been a pretty big surprise. Um, what's my surprise at? I'm a little surprised at Nola. You know that I think they're you know, struggling early, um, and they did have a coach switch. But I mean, they're they promoted assistant coach into the head coach spot, so someone's still from inside the tent and. They have m- most of the same players. Julian Dominguez is gone. Uh, but yeah, they have the same core that's done well in previous years. Off to a pretty tough start this year. Um, so I, I think that's those are two negative surprises. I guess, yeah, you, you kind of took the, the positive one to Austin. Um, I'm surprised. I, honestly, I'm surprised that the Jackals are doing as well as they are. That's probably my next biggest one. I think they, they look like someone who can contend in, in most matches, you know, that that, that has the, a puncher's chance to win. Um, so good on them. So if, if you had to, I'll, I'll add this as a, in as a surprise, if you had to make your player of your pick now or your top three candidates now, who would they be in your eyes? Player of the year right now. Um, I'm going to say Alatimo from Seattle. Uh, I'm going to say, honestly, I'm also going to say Riker Hatting from Seattle. Uh, and then I'm going to say uh, maybe Marcel Brocky uh, in Austin. Um, trying to think of anyone else who's really impressed me individually. Um no, I'll go with the. I, I always love Johan Momsen. Uh, I mean, I think he's still continuing to play well. But Locks never get that kind of love. You'll never. See, yeah, if they pick a lock as Player of the Year, then I applaud their. You know, their uh, true. He was, he was forward of the year last year. Yeah. Well, good. He deserves it. Guy's a stud. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I guess I'll stick with those. Who's your Who's your uh, early Player of the Year picks? For for my three, I'll stick with you on Brocky. I definitely think he's he's had a good calming calming presence for Austin. Is able to direct some of the attack as well. Um, I'll stick with Seattle, but I'll go with Martin Iosefo. 
Um, you know, I, I feel like his big runs have definitely helped set up Seattle on some on some phase phase tries, especially that one for Nakai Penny that should have that I think a lot of people said should have won try of the week wasn't even the top five, which was surprising. But I think I think they made the choice to save that for the breakdown. I, th- I think that's one one of the, the things that they I think a lot of people wish they would not do is like if, if you're going to celebrate this one thing you know, include it with everything else. Don't just make it separate. Um, and then my third pick would probably be um, Joaquin De La Vega Mendia from ATL. You know, he had that huge game against um, Old Glory last week or two weeks ago. And then, you know, was kept silent, but that I think that was just the pace of the game. I think he's, he's able to take direction well, you know, and able to pick, pick up the pace when needed. So. All right. Well, you're you're uh, spot on early for Austin. So let's watch out for these guys as well. Yep, we'll see. All right, picks of the week or this week's picks. Let me actually get my super brew up because I made my picks this week already. Um, first up, tomorrow night, Friday, at eight p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network, NBC Sports Washington, and NBC Sports Boston. We have the New England Free Jacks visiting Old Glory, D.C. Um, D.C. is finally getting some some help. Um, they got their two players they were waiting on for visas in Roman Saifoloi and then Penny Lasaka from Australia and New Zealand, respectively, I believe. So Roman is inserting – they're both in the starting lineups, Roman at 10 and then Penny at, at 14. And then they've shifted um, Robert Sonana into 13 and then moved Doug Frazier out to the other wing. So hopefully they get some some sort of attacking frame out of this. But I don't – I still have to see it to believe it. So. For my sake. Uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I, I'm taking the free jacks by 15. Yeah, I mean, old glory. Uh, man, it's been tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta think that right now, this is a terrible matchup for Old Glory because, because I think New England have a, at least in Week One should a very strong defense to me, but a, a offense that needed help, you know, an offense that struggled outside of transition. Old Glory's defense so far has been like the the yeah the gift wrap defense that you'd want if you're New England here trying to trying to tune up your attack. So yeah, I, I think. Uh, I went so big last week that all I was being all cavalier of my margins and I way overshot Super Brew almost <laughs> every game. But I'm gonna go big again. New England twenty one. Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody saw last week being as close as it was, especially the Jackals against San Diego. Um I think I had them yeah. by thirty. What was that? Sorry. I think I had uh San Diego by thirty on Super Brew in that game. I think I had them by like twenty one, yeah. So um, you know, next up we have rugby ATL taking hosting rugby New York. Not there's no more United, it is now divided. Um, that's Saturday, February 19th at 3 p.m. Eastern on the rugby network. Craig, who are you taking? Although I think I know. Oh, who do you think I'm taking? Yeah, no, I'm taking Atlanta. Uh, that's your god, but uh, oh no, I thought you were taking New York. No, no. I mean, it, you know, again, New York only scored was it ten points uh, this past week. Yeah. Uh, they, they had a lot of to work out. Rugby ATL's two zero uh, playing at home. Uh, I took Houston last week too, though. That was my only wrong pick. Uh, <laughs> so uh, obviously, I'll be cheering for my New York brethren. Um, but I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Rugby ATL by two in the battle of the rugby some city. Bowl. Right. Yeah, I think I need to see a little bit more out of New York offensively. They definitely have the defense, although I don't again, I don't know if that was as much uh New York uh Houston issue as it was New York. But um I have ATL by nine. You know, they they put on that performance against Old Glory. They definitely I, th- I think the the games against Nola are always tight no matter what. I don't think I think the closest or the most the most scoring game was last year's game in ATL. 
Um, I forget what the score was. I think that was the highest scoring game between them. The rest of them have all been under like 20 points combined. So I, I don't think that game is as indicative of um, ATL's offense as it as some people might think it is. Yeah, I, I'm taking ATL by nine. So, and then the next game, also on also on Saturday the 19th at 4 p.m. Eastern on the rubbing the the Rugby Network um, TSN. In your view, we have Nola hosting Toronto. Um, you know, I think this is a game of two teams we want to see more out of. I don't think anybody's happy or I think most people are definitely surprised that both teams, maybe not so much Nola, but I have Toronto by seven. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, this is almost kind of our first must win of the season. You know, neither of these teams want to start 0-3, especially Nola 0-3 at home to start the season would be crippling. Um. I think the desperation is gonna is gonna weigh in a bit here for Nola in their favor. You know, they 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 really cannot afford to lose this this game. I don't think it's in conference. Uh, another in conference loss at home would just be so tough uh, for them to overcome. So I'm gonna say they're gonna eat this one out. Uh, I'm gonna say Nola by three. Okay. And then next up um, later in the evening, we have Austin hosting Utah. Um, also on the, I don't, there's no national game of the week this week, unfortunately. So everything's on the rugby network. This one is on KMYU in Utah and then KBVO in the Austin area. Um, I think this is, we'll, we'll see what Austin's really made of in this one. Yeah. This is probably the match of the week. Uh, again, Utah 0-2 facing a possible 0-3 start. It's going to be really difficult yeah, at least at least they have gotten the two losing bonus points, and they've kept the point differential very low. That that will help them in a tight race. Um, but yeah, it's Austin playing so well right now, and at home, I, I don't think they're gonna you know rough them up the way they've roughed up their last two opponents. But I think Austin are gonna win by ten. You know, I I have Austin winning by eight. Um, you know, both teams. Utah's shown impressive offense. But they haven't really shown it until late, and I think um, Austin's just going to run away with it early. Utah will come back and make a game of it, but I just don't think they'll they have enough in them unless they start showing me stuff early, which they haven't the past two weeks. So yeah, I got Austin by eight, and then game number five of the weekend also on Saturday at eight p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network, and then in AT and T Sportsnet in the Houston area on tape delay. Um, Dallas' first home game of the year in the former Texas Rangers ballpark, now known as Choctaw Stadium. Craig, who you got? Uh, I'm, I'm plagued by this one. I'm plagued by this pick. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Houston. Uh, I think one place that the Jackals have looked particularly vulnerable is the scrum. Houston are monsters in the scrum. Uh, I think that that could give them an edge here. Um, and I think, you know, now there's two weeks of tape on the Jackals, so you, know, you might start seeing some adjustment. Houston have been pretty good defensively, uh, you know, in their first two games. Um, so I'm going to say they're going to they're gonna manage this one by three. By four. I have them by seven. You know, I think – I said by three. I thought you were chiming in and saying you had them by four. Oh no, no, you had. Sorry, I, I missed you there. I have them by seven. Um, I, I think Houston's defense is going to be uh, is going to be stifling all year, similar to how Austin's was last year. They may have a breakout game here, keep breakout game or two here and there offensively, but you know, I, I just think it's, I think it's going to be the defensive show. Um, we'll see if Austin. We'll see if Dallas even gets points on the board. You know, I, th- I think San Diego is a little loose defensively, and I think Austin or Houston's a little bit more tight. So we'll, we'll definitely see um, what's going on there. And then um, last game of the weekend, Seattle at San at San Diego on Sunday, February twentieth at five p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network and Root Sports in the Seattle area. Um, I got and this is going to be probably my game of the week, honestly. Um, I think Seattle probably will pull it out by two points. 
Um, I, you know, I think they've, they, you mentioned they came around, they have a little bit more structure and I, I think that will hold up against the, the loose play of San Diego. Yeah. I mean, both two undefeated teams here. So somebody is one undefeated team is going down uh, unless they draw, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I, I like Seattle here. Uh, I think it's not, I, I don't think it's going to be super close even really. Um, though Ben Mitchell has been having a great year. Uh, so, you know, he, he's a, he's a danger there, but other than that, I haven't really, um, I haven't seen that much from San Diego that make me think that they're going to beat the top level of teams in the league, despite being two and out. So I'm going to say Seattle goes to San Diego and comes away winning by 10. Okay. You know, I, I definitely, this is one of those rivalries that kind of, you know, grew naturally it's og franchises og franchises you know they competed for the second shield ever um you know and they've always just had good games against each other no matter what so you know it'd definitely be a good game this week um just we didn't really get any questions this week um i think i I found one from the rugby network so um i'll ask this to you craig so you got mikey teo and ma nanu you got to try to tackle one of them one on one. Who are you taking? It's funny you should ask me that question, Josh. I'll tell you who I'm taking, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I didn't take Mananu because I want to say I tackled an All Black. Uh, <laughs> uh, that said, I would be more afraid to tackle Mikey Tao. Uh, so, you know, the truth is, I'd be I'd be giving myself a break by going after Mananu, who probably roast me but yeah i'd want to go in there and at least give my shot at, at tackling a a all black uh, <laughs> and then i'll i'll quietly be thankful that i didn't have to take on you know the thunderous legs of mikey teo uh when i when, you know when, when mikey teo came to new york a couple years ago and i was watching them play live you know when he was in san diego i was like man this guy runs lines so hard i don't know how people tackle him um, it's scary. So I'm taking Mananu, saving my teeth, probably getting embarrassed, but you know, maybe I'll walk away a hero. You know, I, I think I agree with you. I think um, I probably wouldn't want to get juked out of my shorts by Mikey Teo either. So that, that, that's where my mind went going to Mananu, probably easier to take that head on tackle. So, yeah, I wait for Mikey Teo to do his, you know, crow hop step. I just <laughs> go with that leg. Yeah. All right. You know, relatively quick one this week, you know, postponed due to life. John, unfortunately, couldn't join us. He had uh, baby baby meltdown issues to deal with. Um, but thank you for listening, everyone. You can find, again, you can find, I am Joshua Fredland. You can find me at Josh Fred and Lead Speak on Twitter. I was joined by Craig. You can find him at MM Flyhalf on Twitter. And then you can find us at Earful of Dirt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Earful of Dirt. And I thank you for listening. Um, Go enjoy some rugby this week, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com.